Volume One, Part Two, Chapter Four of Doctor Wardle's School by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The doctor asks his question. The doctor, instigated by the bishop, had determined to ask some questions of Mister Peacock as to his American life. The promise had been given at the palace, and the doctor, as he returned home, repented himself in that he had made it. His lordship was a gossip, as bad as an old woman, as bad as Mrs. Stantelope, and wanted to know things in which a man should feel no interest. So said the doctor to himself. What was it to him, the bishop, or to him, the doctor, what Mr. Peacock had been doing in America? The man's scholarship was patent, his morals were unexceptional, his capacity for preaching undoubted, his peculiar fitness for his place at Bowick unquestionable. Who had a right to know more? That the man had been properly educated at Oxford, and properly ordained on entering his fellowship, was doubted by no man. Even if there had been some temporary backslidings in America, which might be possible, for which of us have not backslided at some time of our life, why should they be raked up? There was an uncharitableness in such a proceeding altogether opposed to the doctor's view of life. He hated severity. It may almost be said that he hated that state of perfection which would require no pardon. He was thoroughly human, quite content with his own present position, anticipating no millennium for the future of the world, and probably in his heart looking forward to heaven as simply the better alternative when the happiness of this world should be at an end. He himself was in no respect a wicked man, and yet a little wickedness was not distasteful to him. And he was angry with himself, in that he had made such a promise. It had been a rule of life with him never to take advice. The bishop had his powers, within which he, as rector of Bowick, would certainly obey the bishop. But it had been his theory to oppose his bishop, almost more readily than any one else, should the bishop attempt to exceed his power. The bishop had done so in giving this advice, and yet he had promised— he was angry with himself, but did not on that account think that the promise should be evaded. Oh, no, having said that he would do it, he would do it. And having said that he would do it, the sooner that he did it, the better. When three or four days had passed by, he despised himself, because he had not yet made for himself a fit occasion. It is such a mean, sneaking thing to do, he said to himself, but still it had to be done. It was on a Saturday afternoon that he said this to himself as he returned back to the parsonage garden from the cricket-ground, where he had left Mr. Peacock and the three other ushers playing cricket with ten or twelve of the bigger boys of the school. There was a French master, a German master, a master for arithmetic and mathematics, with the adjacent sciences, besides Mr. Peacock as assistant classical master. Among them Mr. Peacock was facile princeps in rank and supposed ability, but they were all admitted to the delights of the playground, Mr. Peacock, in spite of those years of his spent in America where cricket could not have been familiar to him, remembered well his old pastime, and was quite an adept at the game. It was ten thousand pities that a man should be disturbed by unnecessary questionings, who could not only teach and preach, but play cricket also. But, nevertheless, it must be done. When, therefore, the doctor entered his own house, he went into his study and wrote a short note to his assistant. "'My dear Peacock, could you come over and see me in my study this evening for half an hour? I have a question or two which I wish to ask you. Any hour you may name will suit me after eight. Yours most sincerely, Geoffrey Wardle.' In answer to this, there came a note to say that at half-past eight Mr. Peacock would be with the doctor. At half-past eight Mr. Peacock came. He had fancied, on reading the doctor's note, that some further question would be raised as to money. The doctor had declared that he could no longer accept gratuitous clerical service in the parish, and had said that he must look out for someone else, 
if mr peacock could not oblige him by allowing his name to be referred in the usual way to the bishop he had now determined to say in answer to this that the school gave him enough to do and that he would much prefer to give up the church although he would always be happy to take a part occasionally if he should be wanted the doctor had been sitting alone for the last quarter of an hour when his assistant entered the room and had spent the time in endeavouring to arrange the conversation that should follow he had come at last to a conclusion he would let mr peacock know exactly what had passed between himself and the bishop and would then leave it to his usher either to tell his own story as to his past life or to abstain from telling it he had promised to ask the question and he would ask it but he would let the man judge for himself whether any answer ought to be given the bishop has been bothering me about you peacock he said standing up with his back to the fireplace as soon as the other man had shut the door behind him the doctor's face was always expressive of his inward feelings and at this moment showed very plainly that his sympathies were not with the bishop i am sorry that his lordship should have troubled himself said the other as i certainly do not intend to take any part in his diocese we'll sink that for the present said the doctor i won't let that be mixed up with what i've got to say just now you have taken a certain part in the diocese already very much to my satisfaction i hope it may be continued but i won't bother about that now as far as i can see you are just the man that would suit me as a colleague in the parish mr peacock bowed but remained silent the fact is continued the doctor that certain old women have got hold of the bishop and made him feel that he ought to answer their objections that mrs stantelope has a tongue as loud as the town crier's bell but what has mrs stantelope to say about me nothing except in so far as she can hit me through you and what does the bishop say he thinks that i ought to know something of your life during those five years you were in america i think so also said mr peacock i don't want to know anything for myself as far as i am concerned i am quite satisfied i know where you were educated how you were ordained and i can feel sure from your present efficiency that you cannot have wasted your time if you tell me that you do not wish to say anything i shall be contented and i shall tell the bishop that as far as i am concerned there must be an end of it and what will he do asked mr peacock well as far as the curacy is concerned of course he can refuse his license i have not the slightest intention of applying to his lordship for a license this the usher said with a tone of self-assertion which grated a little on the doctor's ear in spite of his good humour towards the speaker i don't want to go into that he said a man never can say what his intentions may be six months hence but if i were to refuse to speak of my life in america said mr peacock and thus to decline to comply with what i must confess would be no more than a rational requirement on your part how then would it be with myself and my wife in regard to the school it would make no difference whatever said the doctor there is a story to tell said mr peacock very slowly i am sure that it cannot be to your disgrace i do not say that it is nor do i say that it is not there may be circumstances in which a man may hardly know whether he has done right or wrong but this i do know that had i done otherwise i should have despised myself i could not have done otherwise and have lived there is no man in the world said the doctor earnestly less anxious to pry into the secrets of others than i am i take things as i find them if the cook sends me up a good dish i don't care to know how she made it if i read a good book i am not the less gratified because there may have been something amiss with the author you would doubt his teaching said mr peacock who had gone astray himself then i must doubt all human teaching for all men have gone astray 
you had better hold your tongue about the past and let me tell those who ask unnecessary questions to mind their own business it is very odd doctor said mr peacock that all this should have come from you just now why odd just now because i had been turning in my mind for the last fortnight whether i ought not to ask you as a favour to listen to the story of my life that i must do so before i could formally accept the curacy i had determined but that only brought me to the resolution of refusing the office i think i think that irrespective of the curacy it ought to be told but i have not quite made up my mind do not suppose that i am pressing you oh no nor would your pressing me influence me much as i owe to your undeserved kindness and forbearance i am bound to say that nothing can influence me in the least in such a matter but the well-being of my wife and my own sense of duty and it is a matter in which i can unfortunately take counsel from no one she and she alone besides myself knows the circumstances and she is so forgetful of herself that i can hardly ask her for an opinion the doctor by this time had no doubt become curious there was a something mysterious with which he would like to become acquainted he was by no means a philosopher superior to the ordinary curiosity of mankind but he was manly and even at this moment remembered his former assurances of course said he i cannot in the least guess what this is all about for myself i hate secrets i haven't a secret in the world i know nothing of myself which you mightn't know too for all that i cared but that is my good fortune rather than my merit it might well have been with me as it is with you but as a rule i think that where there is a secret it had better be kept no one at any rate should allow it to be wormed out of him by the impertinent assiduity of others if there be anything affecting your wife which you do not wish all the world on this side of the water to know do not tell it to any one on this side of the water there is something affecting my wife that i do not wish all the world to know then tell it to no one said dr wardle authoritatively i will tell you what i will do said mr peacock i will take a week to think of it and then i will let you know whether i will tell or whether i will not and if i tell it i will let you know also how far i shall expect you to keep my secret and how far to reveal it i think the bishop will be entitled to know nothing about me unless i ask to be recognized as one of the clergy of his diocese certainly not certainly not said the doctor and then the interview was at an end mr peacock when he went away from the rectory did not at once return to his own house but went off for a walk alone it was now nearly midsummer and there was broad daylight till ten o'clock it was after nine when he left the doctor's but still there was time for a walk which he knew well through the fields which would take him round by bowick wood and home by a path across the squire's park and by the church an hour would do it and he wanted an hour to collect his thoughts before he should see his wife and discuss with her as he would be bound to do all that had passed between him and the doctor he had said that he could not ask her advice in this there had been much of truth but he knew also that he would do nothing as to which he had not received at any rate her assent she for his sake would have annihilated herself had that been possible again and again since that horrible apparition had showed itself in her room at st louis she had begged that she might leave him not on her own behalf not from any dread of the crime that she was committing not from shame in regard to herself should her secret be found out but because she felt herself to be an impediment to his career in the world as to herself she had no pricks of conscience she had been true to the man brutal abominable as he had been to her until she had in truth been made to believe that he was dead and even when he had certainly been alive for she had seen him he had only again seen her again to desert her duty to him she could owe never there was no string of conscience with her in that direction 
but to the other man she owed as she thought everything that could be due from a woman to a man he had come within her ken and had loved her without speaking of his love he had seen her condition and had sympathized with her fully he had gone out with his life in his hand he a clergyman a quiet man of letters to ascertain whether she was free and finding her as he believed to be free he had returned to take her to his heart and to give to her all that happiness which other women enjoy but which she had hitherto only seen from a distance then the blow had come it was necessary it was natural that she should be ruined by such a blow circumstances had ruined her that fate had betaken her which so often falls upon a woman who trusts herself and her life to a man but why should he fall also with her fall there was still a career before him he might be useful he might be successful he might be admired everything might still be open to him except the love of another woman as to that she did not doubt his truth why should he be doomed to drag her with him as a log tied to his foot seeing that a woman with a misfortune is condemned by the general voice of the world whereas for a man to have stumbled is considered hardly more than a matter of course she would consent to take from him the means of buying her bread but it would be better she had said that she should eat it on her side of the water while he might earn it on the other we know what had come of these arguments he had hitherto never left her for a moment since that man had again appeared before their eyes he had been strong in his resolution if it were a crime then he would be a criminal if it were a falsehood then would he be a liar as to the sin there had no doubt been some divergence of opinion between him and her the teaching that he had undergone in his youth had been that with which we here are all more or less acquainted and that had been strengthened in him by the fact of his having become a clergyman she had felt herself more at liberty to proclaim to herself a gospel of her own for the guidance of her own soul to herself she had never seemed to be vicious or impure but she understood well that he was not equally free from the bonds which religion had imposed upon him for his sake for his sake it would be better that she should be away from him all this was known to him accurately and all this had to be considered by him as he walked across the squire's park in the gloaming of the evening no doubt he now said to himself the doctor should have been made acquainted with his condition before he or she had taken their place at the school reticence under such circumstances had been a lie against his conscience there had been many pricks living in his present condition he certainly should not have gone up into that pulpit to preach the word of god though he had been silent he had known that the evil and the deceit would work round upon him but now what should he do there was only one thing on which he was altogether decided nothing should separate them as he had said so often before he said again now if there be sin let it be sin but this was clear to him were he to give dr wardle a true history of what had happened to him in america then must he certainly leave bowick and this was equally certain that before telling his tale he must make known his purpose to his wife but as he entered his own house he had determined that he would tell the doctor everything. End of chapter 4